The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Uh, our family has been attending Crosspoint for about 10 years, and I have been um, blessed enough to be on staff for nine of those years. And one of the things that I get to do here in the office is look over those connection cards that you guys fill out every week and get to pray over them and follow up with you guys. And one of the things that we really, really like in the office is there is a line there that says, how did you hear from us? Um, oftentimes, that's Google. Google is really, really popular nowadays for people finding churches, but we really, really put smiles on our faces when there is a name in there where someone has taken the time to invite their friends, their neighbors, maybe even a complete stranger to Crosspoint. So here in February, we're kind of gearing you guys up to um, take those opportunities, those Holy Spirit opportunities, and maybe uh, get out of your comfort zone a little bit and invite some people. In the back of the auditorium, we have three round tables and they have what look like business cards but they're not they're invite cards so i will invite you to grab some on your way out ladies you can put them in your purse men you can put them in your wallet and just be ready for whatever god might have where you could leave these if you're in a restaurant when you're out and about maybe on the porches of your neighbors and men specifically next weekend i'm sure you all got one of these out in the uh, plaza um, but we've got a lot of them on those back tables so go out there men and invite your man friends to come and join you next Saturday morning for a men's breakfast, okay? All right, let's get into this. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menin, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So, after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Thank you, Katie. Adato. Yes. Anybody ever like going to an average restaurant? Or an average, work in an average company. No one likes average. Anybody want to go to an average church? Yeah, that's your motto. Come see us. We're just average. Now, I want to be in the business world, in the education world, even in the church world. There's all kinds of resources out there uh, about from these businesses, from schools, from even churches about how they've done it. And if you do it just like us, you could be great too. You guys know we're in the business world. That's what everybody does. And there's uh, Outreach Magazine is a famous Christian magazine, Christianity Today. They'll feature churches that are great and like do what they do. I felt like we want to do that. We want to learn from other people to do it. But I thought, what if we could actually learn from a church that, that actually made it into the Bible? Like, if you make it into the Bible, you're probably a pretty decent church. You're probably, let's, let's go to there. So this church in Antioch, Antioch of Syria, becomes the, the new hub of where this way of Jesus and the Christian faith is now going to be launched out from. I'm going to put a map up here on the screen, let you see this, just for geography purposes. Uh, down here in the south is Jerusalem. If you're sitting in the back and you're sitting back there, you can't see it. But it's Jerusalem right down here at the bottom. That's where everything started because Jesus is Jewish and everybody's Jewish at the beginning. And then because of persecution and 
uh, what happens is people are scattering out of Jerusalem and out of the Judea and Samaria area and are going all over the world and talking about Jesus in this new way, this, this Jewish carpenter who said he was God and rose from the dead and talking about that. Lots of people becoming Christians, but it's not happening strategically. It's happening because they're being scattered everywhere. In Antioch, for the first time, the way of Jesus is going to spread not because of accidental or just organic growth like this. They're going to make a decision to say, we're going to send some people out of here to strategically take this cause of Christ all the way across uh, as far as we can go. And do you know that the rest of the book of Acts talks about that? It talks about how it goes from Jerusalem. And by the time the book of Acts ends, there is a church in Rome. And this is not like hundreds of years that have gone by. The capital city this fledging little faith has just gone everywhere. And so Antioch is up here. You saw it up here. Where the big red arrow is there. Up in the north, that becomes the, the elbow there. And you're going to see over here in Ephesus, uh, we're going to see churches like Lystra and Derby, the whole region of Galatia, where the Galatian letter is written to. We're going to start seeing all those stories of what happens here because these people in Antioch decided we don't want to be average. We want to be great. And one of the things that's great about Antioch, that I want to be great about us, is you, you get it in the first few verses here. It says among the prophets were these people, and it lists, Katie just read the verses there for you. Uh, they were serious. Great churches are serious about community. And community is not unity and uniformity, where everybody's all the same. You look at these, <laughs> these people here, you've got in there, it, it tells us there was... Uh, Simeon, a black man, which means there's probably everybody else is white or of other ethnicities, every other culture and backgrounds. Then you've got Barnabas, who is a Hellenistic Jew. What that basically means back then is he was a Jewish person, but from a Greek culture. A lot of people that are like Paul, who's also part of this church, he's like a full-blooded, patriotic man He'd have been the guy, and this is not to make fun of anybody here. Well, maybe a little make fun. Would have been the Make Israel Great Again campaign. I mean, that's who he was. And some of you go, that's right. That's why I like Paul. He's amazing. He was, that's who he was. So the, all these different cultures and ethnicities um, from, the, from impossibly weird backgrounds. And it's not just about ethnicity, because you know it's not about just skin color and ethnicity. There's whole different cultures that are in play here. And then you've got a guy. It tells us... Uh, Lucius, and it says he's from Cyrene. Now, you want to hear that and go, Cyrene, what's the big deal? You know where Cyrene is? Libya. Those of you who paid attention in world history at all, what do Libyans and Jews think about each other? They hate each other. And all of a sudden, in this little, and this isn't the whole church, this is just a few people that help on a community group here that help run things in this church, this crazy crazy ethnic diversity. We also hear about a guy whose past was a little sketchy, uh, Manin, the childhood friend of Herod Antipas. Ba back then, Rome was the ruler of the world, and so Roman uh, rule had Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman procurator, the governor of the region there of Palestine. But Roman learned if you let the, let the locals have some control with some of the political things, so they had installed and allowed Herod to be the king. The first Herod was called Herod the Great. You know, he was called Herod the Great because he named himself that. He was Herod the Great. Uh, and Herod the Great, I mean, you think you have a jacked up family background? Herod Antipas is Herod the Great's son. Listen to the family that Herod Antipas was raised in, and then you'll understand what he, why he was such a disaster. We're going to hear about him in a second. Herod the Great murdered his wife. 
murdered her two sons by a previous relationship, murdered her brother, her grandfather, and his mother-in-law. Herod, uh, and, and then at the end of his reign, when he had heard about this idea, this king of the Jews, this Messiah that had been born in Bethlehem, you guys know the story. It's recorded for us in history here in the Bible. He went out and killed all the two-year-old boys and under because they were a threat to him. Now you go, if you're Herod Jr. growing up in that family, some of you go, that's going to get on you. Some of you go, I was raised in a family like that. I'm still recovering from that. None of you have recovered from a family like this where dad's killing mom or stepmom and mom's killing mother-in-law and killing, going out on a killing spree to kill two-year-old babies uh, because they're a threat to him. Herod Antipas, his son, he, he becomes the ruler of the region of the northern part of Israel up in the Galilee region. Uh, he got the hots for his half-brother's wife. The Bible and history tells us, by biblical history, history tells us about that, and just decided to marry her. He just took her from his half-brother, and married her. John the Baptist goes, wait a minute, you can't do that. What are you doing, man? Calls him out for it. And Herod Antipas uh, has him arrested. And then as a favor to his niece, kind of doing a strip pole dance thing at a party that he was having for all of his entourage there. This is a little sketchy and weird. It's in the Bible. You can check it out. Uh, She says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And he does it. He kills John, has John beheaded. When Jesus is on trial for his life, uh, Pilate is the one, the Roman governor is conducting the trial, but then he hears that Jesus is from Galilee region, so he sends Jesus up to Galilee to Herod Antipas, and it's recorded for us in the book of Luke that Herod just wanted to see him do some tricks, and he'd heard about them, thing, do some crazy weird things for me. Jesus doesn't do it, he's just quiet, he beats him up, he humiliates him, sends him back there. That's Herod Antipas. You've got to figure, too, in our cancel culture, you guys know about this, right? And both, both you progressive leftists over here and you conservative right people over here, you both do it to each other. You both look at people, look at their past, look at who they were associated with, the things. You can imagine the pictures that would have been all over social media about Herod Antipas and Manin now who is a Christian leading in the church and yet he was associated with that guy. We would not let this guy, we'd go, I don't want that guy in my group, man. That's some sketchy, weird stuff, that guy was probably involved in this. You would not put this group together on purpose. But when you're serious about community, you're not just interested in, in uniformity, you're interested in unity. Uh, and it was crazy. If you've ever, we have small groups we do here all the time. I tell you guys, get in one. They're awesome. Anybody in here been part of a small group, either at our church or another church, where you ever had a tough group? If your hand's not up, you haven't been in one yet. Every group at some point, you might once in a while get a group that's amazing. It just flows and goes. Those are outliers. Those are weirdo groups. We don't know where those groups come from, how those happen. There always is some stuff in there. Um, and I'm telling you, get in one because it's where a crowd becomes a community. It's where you make friends. And you'll start to feel like I'm telling you, I can bring people up here today to tell you, it's weird. The friends I've made, in some ways, I feel like they're closer than my family family. And not like I hate my family even. It's just weird the dynamic that happens there. But you have to be serious about this. And you have to <laughs> write this down, and then I'll explain it. We have to fight for unity. Uh, unity is a great thing if you put it on a, like our little church um, mantra here, we talk about our vision and mission is all kinds of people discovering and following Jesus. Unity is awesome and beautiful. And then you play the theme song from Halo in the background, like that commercial is doing right now. And unity, awesome, amazing, ooh, whatever. It sounds all beautiful until 
Real people show up. Some weirdos show up. And it just, it, again, in, in community, there's, it's like a family. Like in your family, there's some awesome people in your family, right? Your wife is elbowing you right now, men. There's some awesome people in your family. And there's just some people in your family. And this is not just your husband, wife, kids, but like your whole family. In-laws and nieces, nephews. Then there's just a bunch of just people. But you know this is true, right? Every family has one of those in it. And so you're going, I don't think we have that in our family. You know why? Because you're that person. <laughs> it's probably you. And in order for this to work, we have to fight for unity. We have to, if community's going to happen, we have to fight for it. I'm going to tell you, people are going to trigger you. People are going to frustrate you, make you angry, tick you off, tweak you, whatever they're going to do for you. Getting in a group, being serious about community. And yet when you do this, Beautiful stuff starts to happen. It'll be the cutting edge of growth in your life. As important as coming to church and, and, and reading your Bible and being about Bible study and all that, getting around Christian friends where community happens and where it's not based on uniformity, but it's based on um, unity in the midst of diversity, being very different, this different ethnic and culture backgrounds, these different people. You, you can look at like Saul, Saul and Barnabas. Barnabas? Barnabas had his name changed. He was, his original name was Joseph. Barnabas, that we hear about in these verses, they changed his name to Barnabas. You know why? Because he was a, Barnabas was the golden retriever. Golden retriever for Jesus. He was just happy, encouraged people all the time. And they changed it. When you, when you get your name changed, a new nickname, they, they, then your nickname becomes your actual name. Just the encourager, the son of, he just, he just, he was the guy you always like, he's awesome, he's amazing. And he would talk about people all the time. And he would see you at church, how you doing, brother, how you doing, sister, how you doing, friend, how you doing, what can I help you with? And just talk about how awesome you are and encourage you and give you second and third and fourth chance. It's no mistake that Barnabas is the one that is the one that opens the door up for Saul, who's killed Christians and says, we should listen to this guy. I think it's really happened for him. You need a Barnabas in your life. We have people at our church like this all the time. Beth, who's on our staff, one of our pastors here, I've re-nicknamed her. She is, she is Beth um, Barnalina <laughs> Sylvester. <laughs> and you can just tell her that all the time. Barnalina is her new name. Uh, because she just, encouragement just, she doesn't even she doesn't try. It just flows out of her. Super exciting, super positive. Barnabas is the golden retriever for Jesus. Saul is the pit bull for Jesus. No, he is. He's the guy out there. I mean, like he was trying to kill Christians and wipe them out because he believed in God so much. God saves him. And then you're going to read about this guy named John Mark who goes with Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary trip. And about just a little bit in, he goes, oh, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. And he goes back home to his mom and go back home to his family. And then Barnabas and Saul are going to go back out again to go visit those churches. And Barnabas goes, let's take John Mark with us. And Saul goes, no way, I'm taking that fool. I can't, I don't, like, Saul, you realize you killed Christians. John Mark just got homesick. I'm done with that guy. And then you look at, and these guys are in the same small group together. A golden retriever and a pit bull in the same thing. You can read some of Saul's writings. In the book of Philippians, he says, all that stuff that all you, all you religious people, and I was one of them, I used to think, oh, this was amazing and awesome. You know what I think it is today? A big steaming pile of you thought I was going to say it, didn't you? But the actual word in the Greek language is skubala. And the reason it's skubala, it's the exact word that we keep, we're not going to say at church. It's a big, and that's, Paul's writing like to Christians and to churches and putting out there. In the book of Galatians, there was this whole thing in the early church, we're going to read about it, 
where people were going out saying, in order to be a real Christian or a true Christian, you had to first become Jewish. And if you're a male, you had to get circumcised. And the book of Galatians, in the Bible, Paul says, those people that want to cut off part of your man, I wish to go the whole way and just cut the whole thing off. Yeah, some of you are going, I should read the Bible more. That stuff's in there. No, that's, that's, that's just who Saul is. He's a pit bull. He just gets after his intense personality. And those guys are in the group. I'm telling you, when people show up like in your group, they're going to trigger you, they're going to frustrate you, make, do stuff for you. And I want to tell you today uh, to give you six warning lights, six check engine warning lights that'll go off in your brain and your soul on the dashboard of your car, of your relationship car, <laughs> to, to pay attention to, to watch out for, and I'm not telling you today, don't, don't miss this. I'm not saying that these things are generally true of you as we look at these, because these things are all bad things. I'm saying this is not about how you generally do relationships. This is just here and there, don't miss this, with particular people and particular situations, they push buttons, they trigger you, and a little, and this is a little, hey, pay attention to that when that happens to go, hey, you got to fight against that, because that's going to, those of you that are mechanics know uh, that when, that when, the, when the dash lights come on out there, does your car shut down right away? You can drive a car for a while, right? But if you don't pay attention to it, guess what happens? All of a sudden, it's hundreds, thousands of dollars because you didn't pay attention early on. Uh, the first one we're going to look at here, uh, the check engine light, is replaying. When you have somebody's hurt you, humiliated you, made you angry, and you replay that situation over and over again because it hurts and it's just, oh, whatever. And it's so awful and you're so mad. You're so frustrated about it. And then you replay, man, if I go back and do it again, here's what I would say. And you replay how you would retort back and how you would come back and just go, bam, and come in there and take care of business next time. The second one is framing a response, also called not listening. Some of us, when you're around certain people, you know how they think, you know how they act. You are married to these people sometimes. And the longer you're married, my wife is sitting here today, she can tell you this is the one. I'm telling you right now, guys, right now, I didn't get any of these out of the book today. You know where most of these came from? My own stupid life. The dumb things I do with people all the time. And the more you get to know people, especially you're in community, you really get to know them, they start going and go, there they go again, there they go. So you're not even listening. And so you start to even interrupt them, start to report back. And sometimes we're not even, we won't even interrupt them. You know what we're going to do? We're nodding our heads, but in the back of our heads, we're not really deeply listening to hear them or understand them at all. We're just framing a response back here. Back here. James chapter 1. It's towards the back of your Bibles. You can turn there if you want. It'll also be up here on the screen. James chapter uh, 1. Verse 19, James says it this way. James is Jesus' little brother. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all. You know what all means? Doesn't matter what your background has been. Doesn't matter how much stuff was put into your life and how much you've been saddled with and all the baggage you got. All of you. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And the heresy version of that is you must all be slow to listen, quick to speak, and lightning rod angry. This is the America today. We don't listen to anybody. Or if we do listen, we're just listening to go retort and frame a response back. That's the second check engine light. You got to watch that one. And when that starts to happen in your life, go, oh, I should pay attention to that. That's going to disrupt community in my life and in my family and in relationships. The third one is talking about 
not to them. We're great at this. You've seen this in the workplace. You've seen this in the church place. You've seen this in neighborhood groups. It's so easy to talk about people, about difficult things that they have done and not talk to them. You know why? Because to go talk to somebody who has hurt you, who has done something wrong to you, this is not being overly sensitive. Like, no, that's wrong. It's just a difficult conversation. And I just want to unload this out of my life, so I don't want to go talk to them, but I'll go talk about them. We, we do this in small groups. We have a sanitized version of this in small groups we call sharing prayer requests. 15 minutes replaying the scene. You know how we still praying about it? Maybe a minute. Uh, none of you have ever done this. Uh, but we do this today in the world of social media. Have you ever seen that post by somebody that starts off with real friends and then they start talking about real friends are there for you. They don't turn their back on you. are suffering. Real friends is, I'm so glad that I got real friends that don't do all these terrible things. And it's clear what they're doing here. You know what they're doing? They're talking about somebody who has hurt them, who's frustrated them. And they're doing it anonymously to put that out there. Just pay, pay attention to that. Watch out for that. We talk about them, not to them. One of the best things you can do to disrupt, to, to get that warning light off is to go, look, that frustrates me. I gotta go have a difficult conversation. We're gonna do some training on that in the next uh, few months here at Crosspoint, some separate classes and stuff like that to help with that because it's a very difficult thing to do, not just in the church world, but in, in your family, in, in your life. Um, number four, hypercritical. When you're hypercritical about particular people or particular situations and you're keeping track, uh, we call this running a tab. You know, where you have a tab someplace and they just do it, bing, 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 bing. And it's not like it's like eight, ten thousand dollars it's $375, Boom, 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 boom. And you know what happens when you start keeping a tab, how this disrupts community? Because then at some point, that person, that particular person is going to say something or do something on a scale of one to ten. It's not like $50, it's... 33 cents. It's not that big a deal, but you know what happens? Because you've been keeping a tab, all of a sudden you're going to cash that tab in. Bam! Right now. And some of you know what this is like. You've stuffed that stuff in and just run the tab, hypercritical, hypercritical, neat, 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 neat kind of stuff. We'll also do this too. Do, do a little math exercise with me today. Um, math people here today. Two plus two equals four. When you start hypercritical keeping track of people, you know what starts to happen? Two plus two start equals 22. You put two together and things get exaggerated. Things get off the rails because you're hypercritical, keeping track. You get deeply offended, offensive spirit. It just disrupts community like crazy. Number five. <laughs> Number five is write them off. Write them off and it's ridicule and contempt. You ever done this? I'm having my hand right here. Oh, God, there they go again. Oh, jeez. They're such a tool. They're such a jerk. They're such, whatever. You can just fill the gaps in and just ridicule and contempt for that person because of their quirks, their personalities. Some of you are going, how do you know about my marriage? But there we go. That's a different thing. Uh, ooh. And then the sixth one is dread and avoidance. When you start to go, I just, I don't want to be around that person. I just, I dread them. I, ugh. When that starts to happen, 
that's going to start disrupting community. If we're serious about community, we have to fight for unity. We have to pay attention to these warning lights that go off and go, let's pay attention to that. Ephesians is going to tell us how to do it. Paul, who we're going to find out he's going to go to Ephesus and start a church there, writes a letter back there many years later. Ephesians chapter 4. It'll also be up here on the screen. You can follow along that way if you want or actually get there in your Bible because there's some things you might want to underline or circle or whatever here. Ephesians 4, 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. He's not saying don't get angry. He said don't let it control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. What he's saying there is resolve stuff. Don't let it just sit there and sit there and sit there. For anger gives a foothold to the, what's that word there? The devil. Not just a foothold to evil, not just a foothold to that whatever. Like you're, When you let anger seep in there, those check engine lights go on, you're, invite, you're opening the door for Satan and demons say, come on in here, take up residence in my life. And nobody would say that overtly. At least nobody sane would say that overtly. But when we let unresolved conflict go, we get triggered, these threats to community. He says instead, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. And then he comes and runs out of all the ways we can do that, as well as all types of evil behavior. Because I'm not going to make a list that's you know, 50 adjectives long. He says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ is forgiving you. What he's going to tell us here is, man, bitterness, being offended, feels like when it happens for you, the last week and a half, half or so, it's been really cold here, right? Like, well, it's been California cold. For those of you from Minnesota and Toronto, you're just laughing at me right now. But it's been cold. You know when you put a blanket in the dryer and it's, it just got done and you pull that blanket out and put that around you? That's what bitterness feels like. It feels so good to replay, to rehash. It just feels good and say, hey, you can't do that. You've got to get that stuff out of your life. Uh, Hebrews 12 is going to talk about this too. Hebrews 12, it's the, one of the last books of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, just start turning backwards a little bit. Hebrews 12, 15 says it this way. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, this is what it is. Bitterness, being offended, having these people that, that frustrate you and bother you. And I'm telling you, if you've come to our church and you haven't found somebody yet who bothers you, you haven't been here long enough. Somebody, look around this room today, is going to bother you and frustrate you. They just will. He's going to watch out for that. That's a check engine light. And he's going to say, watch out for that and get that, uproot that bitterness out of your life. You've got to get below the surface and get that bitterness out of there. And then he tells us, don't just, it's not just stop being bitter, stop being a jerk, stop keeping track. It's like instead, instead replace that. Plant new seeds of kindness, compassion, forgiveness, grace, mercy. You do all that and more. Uh, here's how you can uproot things is you, I think one of the things we have to do to fight for community here is give benefit out to people. So I don't know their story. I don't know what they have going on with their life and their kids right now. So they were a jerk to me or they've got some stuff there. I just know over and over again, I keep meeting people here at Crosspoint and you look like you have your act together and you look beautiful and amazing and all that. And then I start finding out stuff going on and go, man, everybody's got jacked up stuff in their life. Everybody does. You don't know their story. 
So give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. And then take all this stuff that's in here. And you might want to actually do this today. We call this a bitterness excavation exercise. To take that and put it at the feet of Jesus. And say, I can't handle this. And leave it there. And then the next step will be the most difficult one you do. With people that tweak you, that bother you, that frustrate you like crazy, that make you mad, that have hurt you, whatever they have done to you. When you give them the benefit of the doubt, when you lay it at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus says, pray for those people. And not pray that God gets them. God, let... Pray that, that that relationship in his life would get resolved. I pray for their financial situation, their business, and their kids. God, I pray that they would, they're, they're single, they want to find somebody, you help them do that. I pray you'd bless their life with great things going on in their life. You know what happens when you start to pray for God's blessing on somebody's life? Guess what's not happening? Bitterness. And at the beginning, it will feel fake. It will feel artificial. Just do it. I'm telling you, you start to put those words in your mouth that come out of your heart, all of a sudden, bitterness gets choked out there. If... If this is going to work, if we're going to be a great church, if we're going to be a great family, we have to fight for community. We have to be serious about it. And guys, I'm telling you, it's so much easier for me as a pastor to, to just have church services and classes and a great band and all that stuff. Let's just come and do that. Community is difficult. Community can be challenging. I'm telling you, it'll be the, one of the best things you do. I tell people all the time, man, the Bible's important for you. Church churches are important to you. Getting around good friends that become like family to you is just as important as showing up at church on a weekend is. And we do small groups here to help you do that. We just started small groups. Uh, just started the winter quarter last week. Get in one. If you're newer to our church, our website has all the groups that are open. We want to help you figure that out and find one and get into it. You'll make friends. It'll be beautiful and amazing. And you'll find that even the frustrating, difficult people there will be the cutting edge of your growth. It will do some things to excavate stuff out of your life that wouldn't happen otherwise. Uh, in Acts 13, uh, they were serious about community. It also tells us two times in three verses, it says they were, they were seeking God. So they were serious, number two, about communication with God. Like, they, they were serious about prayer and worship. Like, worship, like singing songs together, reading the Bible together, just worshiping God, reminding themselves that God's God and I'm not. That's the only reason we do songs here, guys. We do a lot of songs here. It's to remind you once a week to go get off the throne. You think you're in charge, just stop it and just yield control again to Jesus. He's amazing, he's worthy, and he can handle it better than you can. So worship, and it says they were fasting, and I think the fasting thing is they were so desperate for God, like, we'll skip meals even to talk to God about what's going on in our lives. It was you know, discipline, desperation, all that. So they were praying about stuff that, that was going on in their lives. Um, and I think sometimes we imagine ourselves that we're a church, and we are a church, we cross point church, but I think church in the West has come to mean, well, it's a place you go and you sit there. Guys, I'm telling you right now, it's not a, not a, it's not a, a place you go and it's more than just a family you're a part of. Jesus said he came, his first messages were here not about a church he was planting, it was about a kingdom he was establishing. And he's going to establish his kingdom through local churches scattered throughout the planet. We are one of the kingdom outposts deployed in a forward area. And as kingdom outposts, our job here 
is to take on the enemy with everything we do, to kick the devil in the teeth, to get, to get demon and Satan and evil on its heels so they can't be on their toes. And far too many of us have seen dumb Hollywood movies that have made Jesus seem weak and lame and stupid, and Satan and demons, oh my God, be terrified of them. It's just the opposite. And stuff's going to come up in your life. Problems, challenges, issues. In our church, stuff's coming up all the time. Battles we have to face. I'm going to tell you, the battle we're going to, to win this war that we're involved in here as a kingdom outpost will not be won on a whiteboard or a dry erase board. Will not be won with SWOT analysis and PowerPoint presentations. You know how we're going to win it? Prayer. We're going to be serious about that. And guys, I'm telling you right now, I'm not as serious about it as I wish I was. I, prayer can sometimes be a challenge for me, a difficulty for me. I came across this great quote this week by a guy named E.M. Bounds. He's a famous guy from a couple hundred years ago. He says this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but people whom the Holy Ghost can use, people of prayer, people mighty in prayer. He does not anoint plans, but people, people of prayer. Now, some of you hear that and go, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. Can I tell you, you know, you know how you learn how to pray? Watch, here's a big secret for you. Pray. Well, I don't know about prayer. Okay, then don't pray. Just talk to God out loud about your stuff. People that are new to this, forget about doing all the, some of you are raised in very liturgical backgrounds where all these words and like all these, just talk to God about stuff going on in your life and just pray and talk to God about that. Um, I got a picture up here we're gonna show you. This is what prayer feels like for some of you, right? Dear God, look at God's response to you. He knows. So you miss, I don't I feel I'm terrible at this. I think God would have rather have our blah, 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 all over the place. I have no idea what I'm saying. I'll get to prayer sometimes. I have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but you know, and get all that. God would rather have that than to go, I'm just going to find the crafted prayer down here. And the other thing that will help you with prayer is pray with people. Here are people pray. Here's what's beautiful about that. If you are newer at this, to get around people that have been, are, are veterans of the faith who've been at this for a while, hear them pray. You go, oh, that's cool. You can kind of figure it out. And what the beautiful thing is, not just people who are experienced in prayer, but for all those of you that are brand new at it, when you start to pray with people around us, all of a sudden that does something to my soul again. Because I don't get all the little pious, little pietistic little phrases and catchwords that we just kind of drip into our prayers all the time. People that are brand new at it don't know all the things they're supposed to say and do. They just say it. So you're, you're good for each other. And then I want to tell you too, if you're wondering how to pray, uh, I, I can tell you right now, guys, I, I love the Bible. I love reading the Bible, memorizing parts of the Bible, studying the Bible, books about the Bible. Prayer at times can be a challenge for me. It doesn't just flow easily to me. I know I'm supposed to be a pastor and I'm supposed to, I'm not supposed to say that. I'm supposed to be good at prayer and all that. I'm just not very good at it. It doesn't come real naturally to me. It doesn't just flow out of my heart and soul. And a few years ago, I don't even know where I was, but somebody talked about the idea of using the scripture, using the, the verses in the Bible as the framework for your prayer and build, build that around. They said, like Jesus, when he said, the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, kingdom come. Those were not words to recite. He said, that's a pattern to build your life around. So God, where's your kingdom not coming? Where's your will not being done? I'm gonna pray about that. I'm gonna pray for the stuff going over in Russia and Ukraine right now. I'm gonna pray for this COVID thing. I'm gonna pray for the things in my kid's life where I know they're struggling and the challenges and I see my wife, all the challenges of gender, sexuality, stuff. God, that's not your will. We're gonna pray about that. God, deliver us from evil, from the stuff that's going on out there. God, my, my day, give us this day our daily bread. God, here's the things that are going on in my life. I need some more daily bread right now. We're kind of running short right now, whatever that is. Psalm 23 is a great one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Guys, I tell you right now, you take that and personalize that for yourself. 
for your family, for your children, for people at work. God, right now, uh, I am in a place right now of just the franticness of life, the turbulence of life. My kids need some quiet waters. They need you as the good shepherd to lead them beside some quiet waters and make them lie down in some pastures right now because the world out there is giving them a bunch of crap to eat and they need some green pasture stuff. And you pray like that. God, you use the framework there. And guys, I want to tell you, there are 150 chapters in Psalms. I want to demonstrate for you today, not to show off, but to show you this is not hard or complicated. So one to, somebody call it a number between 150. 21? 91. Psalm 91. If you want to turn there, we're going to do this together right now to show you how easy this is and how this will jumpstart some prayer in your life. And then I don't have no idea who that person is. We didn't front load this and kind of stage that person out there. Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest. God, I need to find rest in your shadow. There's all kinds of things that are so threatening and so overwhelming to me. God, I declare this about you. You alone you alone are my refuge. And there's a lot of places out there that tell me they, they can be the refuge. My phone tries to be the refuge. My 401k, my job, my, all these places are trying to be my refuge and my place of safety. But God, you're my God and I trust you. God, you rescue me from the traps that are out there. And there's all kinds of things out there trapping my kids. Got to see why they have to walk into school and things that are trapping them and trying to grab their faith and hamstring them and catch them that will set the course of their life for the next 20, 30, 40 years. God, help them escape from those traps. God, your, verse four, your faithful promises are my armor and protection. And everything I look out there to make me, especially as a man, I have armor and protection. I can do it myself. God, I need your armor and your protection for what's coming against me. God, verse eight, God, open my eyes to see how terrible wicked stuff is. And God, when I make you my refuge, you're my shelter. The evil will stay away from me. No plague comes near me, God. You'll, you'll order angels, God, when you, verse 15, when, when you call, when I call on you, God, you're gonna answer. You're with me in the trouble. Rescue and honor me in those situations in my life where I need some help right now. Guys, and again, this is just me making it up right now as I go when I'm quiet, when I'm not in front of a bunch of people watching and listening to this. You can just let this go. I'm just telling you, it will jumpstart prayer in your life. Use the scriptures to be a framework for, for prayer. They were serious about community. They were serious about communication with God. And then... <laughs> They're praying to God, and we have no idea if they're asking God for any wisdom, but God, in the midst of that prayer, seeking God, God spoke to him and said, send out Barnabas and Saul, and we're going to now move this mission out here strategically, not just scattering out because of persecution. And you know what? Do you see what they do there in, in chapter 13? It says, so after more fasting and prayer. You know why they said that? Because what God told them to do right there was like, Wait, did we hear that right? That's a big risk. When you're going to send out a guy named Saul, who becomes known as Paul, who ends up writing half the New Testament, when that guy who writes half the New Testament is no longer speaking and preaching at your church, are you going to notice that? You're going to notice that. 
When Barnabas, the great encourager, who just encourages everything, when that guy leaves, you're going to feel that. There's some risk involved in being, here's the third thing they're committed to. They're not just committed to the church, they're committed to the cause of Christ, to the mission. Saying it's not just about us. It's not just about here at Antioch. This needs to go here, there, and everywhere. And they send out high profile, some of their best people to do that. They took some risk. And you'll know how committed you are to a cause by what you're willing to risk to see that cause move forward. And they recognize the cause of Christ is too important. So if we have to give it some of our best and brightest people, we're going to do that. I wonder for you and I today as we sit here, has God put something on your heart, in your soul, something he wants to use you to do? And it's so easy when there's those impulses there and what we'll sometimes do is do the whiny church thing. Oh, I wish the church should be more this and good churches should be more gospel-centered, should have better men's, women's, children, God, I'm good, all this kind of stuff. And instead of doing that, go, God's put something on my heart. And then sometimes what we can do with that is God wants me to take a risk to trust him, to step out into some area to make a difference for him. Maybe it's simply just, like Katie said, inviting my neighbor to come to church. To take some simple steps of risk out there. Maybe it's to serve in student ministries with our seventh grade girls or junior guys or jumping into children's ministry with all the great things they're doing back there. It can be a risk sometimes of your time, of your energy and your talent. And it's easy to go, somebody else will do it. Uh, I'm just, that's, you know, that's not, not my thing. I don't have the time, the expertise. Um, and then the, one of the lies that comes up sometimes is, what if I mess it up? What if I messed it up? I don't know if I'm up to this. Can I tell you right now? You're not, and you will mess it up. But here's the good news for you. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand its attack. And you know who he uses in his church? Us fools. You and I, ordinary, normal, sometimes jacked up, screwed up people. So I'm going to use you guys. He says, if the gates of hell aren't going to screw up my church, you're not going to mess it up. Even when you mess it up, I'm going to use all that stuff. So, guys, we have this happening all over our church right now. Kevin uh, McIntosh and Christy. Christy's up here playing the bass today. Kevin decided, like, like, I want to get some stuff going with women's and men's ministry. So Christy's doing that. Kevin's doing some of that. Just decided, instead of looking out there, how come church isn't doing more? I'm going to do it. Ed Kramer, a guy sitting right back there is talking about some stuff with, uh, person, with mental health and recovery from depression, anxiety, and substance abuse and recovery. I'm going to be involved in that, not sitting back and how come the church should do that, just going out and stepping out and doing it. Um, we have some guys right now, Rye Heffley, he's getting heading to South Africa on a missions thing coming up in, in, in a couple weeks. Uh, Shane, sitting right over here, is heading out to Tanzania in uh, a week or so. Look, guys, they would tell you, look, they are not superstar Christians. They are just dudes that sit here at a church going, I'm just a dude. I became a Christian. My marriage was jacked up in a mess a few years ago, and God did some things there. See, here's what Paul's going to tell us. Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians, a letter to the church at Corinth. He says, the world tries to find the best, the best looking, the most popular, the most influ finds influencers out there. He says, you know who God uses? Fools. Not just ordinary people. He says God uses the fools of this world to confound the wise. Because he said, if you think it's all about you, then when you're successful, you'll get all the glory. He says God's going to do something. He goes, the only chance this has to succeed is as God shows up. But then God goes, look what God did with those idiots, fools over there. Only God could do that. Only God could do that. 
And when you're committed to community and committed to communication with God and then you're committed to the cause and say, God, whatever you want me to do, it's going to be beautiful to happen. I'll tell you guys, be here in a, in a month. I'll be here every Sunday between here and a month. March 5th and 6th, it's our big vision weekend that we're going to do here and talk about what we're going to do here being a kingdom outpost to go make some trouble here for the cause of Christ. It's not to be a church that sits around and just studies stuff and looks at people. Be here for that. It's going to be beautiful and amazing. Uh, but for today, as the band comes up, some things I want you to consider. We're not done yet, so stay here. Some homework maybe to think about. Some things to go, okay, how do we make this real in my life so I don't just sit here and feel inspired or feel convicted or whatever today? Here's what I want you to consider today. Some of us today have some relationship things out of whack and it's time to go some bitterness excavation to go uproot some stuff and plant some new stuff there. There's on the inside of your program today, there's a a thing called Intersect that's gonna walk you through some steps and process about how to go deal with some of those difficult relationships out there. Communication with God. Can I tell you? Just start talking to God out loud. And I'm gonna tell you here, one of the best ways to mess up your prayer life is just talk to God in your head. Because you know what will happen? You'll start talking to God in your head about something and thanking God for whatever and the things about the, the blue sky you're grateful and the rams are, are blue and blue man group in Vegas and Vegas. I mean, it's just like talk out loud. It makes it more real. And just take some time to go three or four times a week. I'm going to just take some time and talk to God. I'm going to talk to God about some stuff going on out there. Um, And then I just wonder, is there something in your life that God has put on your heart and soul? This thing he wants you to jump into and do. And it's easy to step back and go, oh, it's not me and I don't have the time. Would you just say, God, here I am. And however you want to use me, it's a risky thing that you want to use someone like me. But if you want to use someone like me, here I am. Use me. Our prayer team is at the back of the house today. If you need prayer for anything, you came in today, communication with God or whatever, whatever's going on, let somebody else talk to God with you and for you about that. They're right there in the back, in that back area back there. We're going to give you a chance to come and receive communion today where you get a piece of bread and some juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. One of the great, greatest things about a church is to recognize that the church of Jesus Christ, not the church of Steve, or the church of Grant, or the church of Kevin. Or It's not my church. It belongs to Jesus. And the reason anything happens in my life where the mission moves, moves forward is because 2,000 years ago, the Son of God came and laid his life down and then credited his righteousness, his goodness to you when you in faith receive that free gift that he gives. So come and celebrate communion today. And then we're going to sing today. One of the great things about that church in Antioch was they worship God. Can I tell you today, you guys ordinarily do a great job with this, but sometimes I'm going to go, if you're excited about something, would you let your voice and your face let us know about it too? And these songs they've done today, I'm telling you, just wait till we get, well, the whole thing is great. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. Jesus, today we love you and we're grateful. I want to say to you today, God, whatever it is you want to do, take this great church that was serious about community and communication and the cause 
What do you want to say to each one of us today and just in these next few minutes? Do the kind of work that will take this and move this out of the walls of this church, out of the world in which we live. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.